Welcome to the Ethics and Compliance Library, where each episode we will take a deep dive into an ethics and compliance book, giving you the inside scoop through interviews with authors and industry leaders. I'm your host, Lauren Siegel. Today we will analyze No Rules Rules by Aaron Meyer and Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix. Before we hear from our guest, Asha Palmer, let's get a lay of the land. It is no secret that Netflix has seen massive success. The mail order version of Blockbuster launched in 1997 and today has over 167 million subscribers across 190 countries. Their uncanny ability to adapt to market changes from mail order DVDs to content creation has allowed Netflix to set an example for great success. How do they do it? Well, a few things. One, hire and keep only the best people at any cost. Two, promote radical candor through constant feedback throughout with as much transparency as possible. Three, remove controls. <gasps> Gasp, I know this last one may be the most shocking to those of you listening given your roles as risk mitigators and business protectors but you will soon see how these practices guide Netflix's decisions and have created a culture of empowering employees to do great work rather than just follow rules. Looking deeper at number one, hire and keep the best people at any cost. It is important to see where that started. After the dot-com bubble burst, Reed laid off a third of his staff. What came of this was not lower morale, but higher work quality. By getting rid of adequate employees, talent density was increased, meaning more talent per person, therefore creating an environment that encouraged innovation, top talent, and growth. The idea behind talent density is something that really stuck with me and comes up again and again. The idea is that just doing your job is not enough. People doing less than adequate work shouldn't be put on performance improvement plans or PIPs, wasting time and focus of the employee and manager. Those low performers actually bring down the performance of the entire team by not pushing top performers to be better. The message is sent to the entire team that the company condones mediocrity, which, as you would expect, reduces overall performance. So what do you do with adequate or less than adequate personnel? You take the money that you would have wasted during a PIP and give them a generous severance package. For all you legal professionals out there listening to this and thinking about the lawsuits that must occur from people being fired without any notice, there's a little more to it. Because of the candor and constant feedback, no employee should ever be shocked that they are being let go. They should have had ample occasions of receiving feedback for growth and improvement. Not to mention that if they want that generous severance package, they must sign a no-sue agreement. It isn't just about removing everyone other than top performers, though, but also keeping those top performers. And in order to do that, Reed realized that you must pay top dollar. Remove performance-based bonuses as goals change and predicting the business yearly is challenging. Instead, put that money into higher salaries. Give raises based on market value, not just based on performance. 
if the market says 20% increase, then by golly, give that person a 20% increase, not just 5% because it keeps them in the so-called salary band that was set out. But this only makes sense if that person passes the keeper test. If they don't, well, then generous severance package. Ask yourself, would you fight to keep this person if they told you they were leaving for another job? Diving into number two now, promote candid, frequent feedback. It isn't just about once a year feedback from your immediate manager or direct reports. Feedback should be given live, constantly, and directly. This promotes open communication, increased effectiveness, and co-accountability. This point of candor and feedback is key. So key at Netflix, in fact, that it is seen as disloyal not to do it, as it is prohibiting company growth. But how do you give and receive feedback? Well, start with the four A's. One, aim to assist. Give feedback focused on improvement, not grievances. Two, make it actionable. Emphasize what can be done better, not what is being done wrong. Three, appreciate. Listen to what is being said. And four, accept or discard. Choose what feedback you want to take and consider whatever you don't. Feedback should be motivating and not just given when the time is right, but always. How many of our organizations can say that we have constant feedback, not just meetings with our managers and 360 feedback at the end of the year? Probably not many. What if 360 feedback was open to anyone who wants to give it? What if you did live feedback? We will come back to this and why it is vital later on. Part of candor is transparency. We would all like to say that our leadership is transparent, but as transparent as extending financial documents prior to quarterly reports and openly discussing firing decisions with all staff, not just senior executives, doubt it. But why would we do this? There's so much risk. Well, actually, it increases ownership and trust. It allows employees to take more responsibility in company success and gives employees context to make better decisions for the organization. Finally, number three, eliminating controls. We all know how ethics and compliance loves a good policy. Many organizations tell me they have hundreds of policies and procedures, and anytime a situation comes up where there isn't one to lean on, one's just created. Policies and procedures are meant to control employee behavior, but that control can undermine trust and therefore kill creativity. When employees have freedom operating under the ideal of act in the company's best interest, they begin to act more responsibly, and in turn, management begins to feel more confident in giving them more freedom. Netflix calls this FNR, freedom and responsibility. The two are very intertwined, as we will continue to see. From this FNR, the increased innovation, workflow speed, and adaptability can be seen across Netflix's organization. But you cannot just remove hundreds of policies and procedures. That won't work either. Take the example of removing a PTO policy, just like Netflix did. If you remove a limited PTO policy without giving context for how to make good time off decisions, like don't take time off at the end of the quarter if you're a salesperson, and you also don't talk openly about large vacations higher-ups are taking, which encourages employees to do the same, not having a PTO policy will likely fail. Context is everything. 
policies are supposed to be referenced when decisions are made, but without them, how do employees know how to make a decision, you might ask? Well, one could argue most of your employees likely aren't looking at your policies in a given situation anyways, but let's move past that for right now. Decisions are made with context, a topic we will continue to come back to. In addition to providing context, there can still be safeguards. For example, as it relates to a T&E travel and expense policy, sample employee expenses, so employees know there's always a chance their spending is being monitored. And there must still be transparency. For example, if someone's spending inappropriately and you fire them, tell the rest of the employees about it. Once that is in place, you can disperse decision-making. That means that lower-level employees can make decisions and own the consequences, rather than going through multiple levels of approvals. This gives employees the freedom to make bets on things they believe in, gives them the motivation to make it a success, and therefore the responsibility to take ownership whether it is successful or not. The expectation is not that every project will succeed, but that you will learn from failures, sunshining them so that others can learn from them as well, and then more projects will be a success rather than failure, and you can celebrate those successes. But you can't just go AWOL making bets on whatever you want. The Netflix innovation cycle is as follows. One, get feedback. You don't need approval to make a decision, but you need feedback to make a well-informed decision, so you must gather feedback. Two. Test the idea. Look to replicate the idea on a smaller scale first. Three, be an informed captain. Know everything about the situation and become the expert on it. So when you sign on the dotted line, you are doing so with conviction. And four, sunshine the failures and celebrate the successes. As before mentioned, failures help us all learn. And when you succeed, it should be recognized. But again, back to context. Managers must help employees in their decision-making by providing context about the company's strategies and goals to ensure the employee is making decisions and taking bets that align. And back to removing controls, because employees are now empowered to work as they choose, we must recognize that work may not always go as planned or succeed, sometimes harming reputation or growth. You cannot remove controls without high density. Emphasis on innovation over error prevention, a loosely coupled organization, and a company-wide alignment. Let's double down on those as it relates to that decision-making. High talent density is key here. Because you have been asking yourself the keeper test, you now have top performers and people you can trust to do the best work. Innovation over error prevention doesn't work in all industries, let's be very clear. One example given in the book where this cannot exist is vehicle manufacturing. Innovation is less important than ensuring accuracy and safety. On the other hand, in order to adapt and stay relevant, like Netflix has done time and time again, freedom allows employees to innovate with the right context. Then loosely coupled organizations. Those are the ones where departments are independent enough that lower level employees can make decisions that do not greatly impact other departments. I liked the example here given around coding. If all pieces of code are reliant on each other to function, then change is almost impossible without a full rewrite. On the other hand, when code is loosely coupled, there is increased flexibility in change. The same goes for organizations. Lastly, company-wide alignment. If the CEO gives direction to senior leadership around the company values and directions, 
and senior leadership uses that context to provide additional context to specific responsibilities of management and so on and so forth, each level is operating in lockstep. And in that lockstep is freedom and responsibility, that FNR. All of this sounds great, but how do you do it globally? Candor and feedback do not look the same in all countries. Reed realized this as they grew globally, that the culture he had built at Netflix out of California would not work in all locations, but would need to adapt. The best way to think about this in terms we understand for typical ethics and compliance organizations is ding, 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 policies. You cannot just push an English version of a policy to a global population, but instead you need to translate it to local languages and bring it to local leaders who can talk you through the local nuances. Again, highlighting the importance of context. Taking all of this in can seem like a lot. Do you just go fire all your employees who are doing an okay job? Do you remove all of your policies or even just some of them to start? Do you change your annual feedback model and give feedback every single day? Do you give lower level employees the ability to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on decisions they just, I don't know, believe in? Of course not. Reed and Aaron lay it out as a multiple step process. You cannot have informed captains without context. You cannot have talent density without constant feedback and radical candor. You cannot have FNR without transparency and, of course, you guessed it, context. The culture Netflix has built did not happen overnight. Everyone was dedicated to it becoming the framework for everything they did. That culture is the reason they do not need hundreds of policies. That culture is the reason they can adapt so quickly and continue growing. That culture is the reason people go to work there and stay. One last thing before we get to Asha Palmer's take on all of this. I was on a flight recently talking to a coworker about this book. Admittedly, this book has become one of my all-time favorites, so naturally it is what I talk about with another person. Someone overheard me and piped in. Not to be nosy, but are you talking about no rules rules, she asked. Excited to chat with yet another person about the book, I said yes and asked if she had read it. Better than having read it, she told me she worked at Netflix. She told me she had been at Netflix for a few years as a recruiter and that, yes, Netflix was, in fact, an amazing place to work. She continued on to tell me that the people she hires stay. It takes a certain type of person to work at Netflix, she told me, as some people would be fearful of having so much FNR, direct, constant feedback, and their manager always asking that keeper test about them. She acknowledged that the culture is like no other place she had ever worked, and that while she hasn't actually read the book, she is sure it reflects the true Netflix, as Reed is the most transparent leader she has ever known. Now that I am sure you are tired of hearing me talk by now, I want to pose a few questions to you and encourage you to pause and think about these prior to moving into Asha's interview. When you think about tone at the top, especially as that phrase is buzzing in the ethics and compliance community, is there transparency and trust and tone at the top. Do your policies get read and is there enough context around them and the trainings your department does to inform your employees' decision-making? If you removed some of the controls in place to reduce risk, could your culture fill those gaps? We will dive into all of this and more with Asha next. 
Now we are joined by Asha Palmer, Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer and EVP of Converge at Conversant by OneTrust. Asha's expertise lies in the areas of program development and enhancement, training and engagement, anti-bribery and corruption, risk assessments, and third-party management. She has developed and enhanced ethics and compliance programs for over 20 companies worldwide. As a former assistant U.S. attorney and litigator, Asha is passionate about training, engagement, and finding practical ways to embed ethics and compliance within businesses and with its leaders. Asha is also active in the ethics and compliance community, presenting in 2017, 18, and 19 at Compliance Week Europe and participating in the well-renowned program for corporate compliance and enforcement at New York University. Hello, Asha. It is so wonderful to have you here today. We're very excited to talk to you a little bit more about No Rules Rules. Um, and I personally am very excited to have you here. Asha is a wonderful mentor to me and a great leader in our organization. So welcome, Asha. Thank you, Lauren. Great to be here. So for the next little while, I want to talk to you about ethics and compliance as an industry, culture, and how that impacts ethics and compliance, and specifically Netflix's culture. It's really unique, right? I, I find it fascinating, and this book really illuminated a lot of uh, unique perspectives for me. The thing that I want to start with, though, is how culture holistically impacts ethics and compliance. Yeah, um, not a small question at all, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> start big, start big. Um, you know, culture is the foundation of ethics and compliance. Um, your culture will tell you what people are allowed to do, what they're permitted to do. I have a really good friend who says, what you permit, you promote. Mm -hmm. And your culture is all about what you permit. Um, it's the behaviors you allow, it's the behaviors you celebrate, it's the people you allow, it's the people that you celebrate. Um, and so I think, you know, when you talk about the Netflix culture and kind of their methodology of, you know, getting the best people into their organization, right? Talent density um, is all about getting people, really good people into the organization who are able to make really tough decisions mm -hmm. and are able to be very upfront when they make the wrong decision, are either, you know, celebrated for making good decisions or, you know, even critiqued when they make bad decisions, um, sometimes even publicly, as we saw in the book. Yeah. Um, but it, the, the ability to do that shows that there's transparency, there's accountability, um, and that's important in a culture, right? Because people want to know that Reed Hastings is just as accountable as Asha Palmer, right? And, and that, you know, that culture of accountability is not something that's only for, you know, mid-level employees, that it really reaches all the way up to that top. And that candor reaches all the way up to the top. Uh, and so I think, you know, when you look at Netflix culture, it is very, very, very <laughs> no rules. I mean, for an ethics and compliance, you know, person, that's like blasphemy. But, you know, the good news is that they're creating a culture of transparency and of trust um, that is anchored in accountability. And I think that is the uniqueness that can't actually only exist through rules, mm -hmm. um, which oftentimes we as ENC try to bring that culture through yeah. rules but it can exist in another way. And I think Netflix is a great example of another way to build that change in behavior and accountability that we all strive for in ENC. 
it sounds like what you're saying is that when there is not policy, when there is not the typical rules in place that ethics and compliance often lives behind, that culture can sometimes fill in for that. And I think that's really powerful, right? There's a lot to be said for the fact that you don't need 500 policies and you don't need a 500 page code of conduct, but you need a culture of trust and accountability. And that's what a lot of organizations are working towards now when we talk about the trends in ethics and compliance, but Netflix has done it in a unique way and starting with their culture. But in talking about their lack of policies, right? They're kind of famous for not having that. They're famous for this open and constant feedback loop and creating a, a, um, an environment where performers who really exceed expectations get to stay and everyone else gets these generous severance packages. How, how is this changing the way that ethics and compliance professionals should look at their role and maybe the way that ethics and compliance functions in, in Netflix? Yeah, you know, let me unpack everything that you just said real quick, because <laughs> <laughs> there's so much there. Um, now, I will admit, I have a very interesting relationship with policies. I believe that they are necessary, but not sufficient. Yes. Um, so I actually differ from having no rules. Um, I think I do think rules have a place, but I think the over-reliance on rules is what has been a detriment to the ENC community. Yeah. Um, here's the reality, and you said at Netflix, right? Culture kind of takes the place of the rules. Um, and quite frankly, it already does. Because even if you have, in every, in every company, even if you have 29 policies, as you said, with 500 words, codes of conduct that are like 80 something pages, spoiler alert, no one's reading them. <laughs> I promise I read it, Asha, don't get mad at me. <laughs> Right. Okay. Tell me what it says on page 95. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and even if they are reading them, they're not being able to apply them in a meaningful way. So the reality is, is that culture already fills the gap for many people when it comes to um, having that culture of transparency and trust and accountability, right? As much as we want to believe that people know everything about our insider trading policy or our conflicts of interest, you know, when there is, it, the reality is they don't. But the question is, where do they go to make the decision? And in ethics and compliance, what we know is that when decisions are made in the dark or in shame or in hiding, that is when you get people to start making unethical decisions. And what I really loved about Netflix approach is they're trying to make decisions in transparent ways. Yeah. They're trying to build accountability in transparent ways. And, and they, are, they are holding people accountable to both of those things. And so I think what's very important about what Netflix does is they try to create a culture that is compliant with the rules mm -hmm. without leading with a rule book. Yeah. And so that is powerful because that's what steps in, in the gap. When you can't remember the rule, you haven't read the rule mm -hmm. or you don't understand the rule. And so having that saying, Hey, I made a mistake or I don't know what to do here. Or what do you think about this? Right. That empowerment that Netflix gives it's, what was it called? Like leading leaders uh yeah they're informed captains yeah they're informed captains right that ability and that agility to like make decisions and find the right answer yeah. and then commit to the decision because it's your 
name on the line. Yeah. Um, you know, it really empowers people to want to make the right decision, to know that making the wrong decision is on them. And they think about it a little bit differently than whether or not I'm complying with a rule or not. Well, and part of that too, that I, I found this really interesting in the book is when, when they were talking about some of these things, the first thing that came to my mind is I'd be fearful, right? I'd be scared to put my name on that line. I even even if I was considered an informed captain, I'm, I'm young in my career, maybe I don't know, right? And I'm doing the best that I can, but putting my name on that line is a big deal. And one of the things that they talked about is that it, you should act in Netflix's best interest. That's basically what all the pol policies or lack thereof policies say, act okay. in Netflix's best interest. And that if you were to put that decision on blast and tell everyone in the company the decision that you made, could you proudly stand behind it? And some people, they say, come into this organization and actually don't thrive because they're living off fear rather than trust and, and feeling like they're part of that culture. And so I think one of the challenges that ENC leaders face is when new people come into an organization, whether you're growing rapidly and bringing hundreds of people on a month or you are um, decreasing and increasing headcount, kind of fluctuating throughout, bringing on new people, in a lot of ways, ethics and compliance doesn't touch those new employees until something comes up. And there's been this shift where ethics and compliance is involved from the start now, because ethics and compliance is very involved in culture. So, how do ethics and compliance leaders like yourself look to help leadership create that culture and keep it going through new hires to build a culture like like netflix or whatever you want to do yeah um great question i think that you know it changes your approach um a lot because number one it does take consistency right and i think to to maintain a culture you have to exhibit the characteristics of that culture, your values, your mission consistently. And so sometimes ethics and compliance is to make, a job is to make sure that that culture is consistent because the lack of consistency will devalue trust. And it's interesting because I don't know much about Netflix internal ethics and compliance program, but I would imagine that I would train on things like increasing candor right so yeah. i mean that is that is a value of theirs to increase candor well the way you increase candor can't be by tearing people down all the time yeah. <laughs> right and they, they talk about some of the cultural nuances across the world that netflix had to adapt to because candor in different places is different things but you know it it's so important that we empower people to set them up for success and exhibiting those values. And so instead of training on, you know, a conflicts of interest policy, you train on, you know, what does it mean to act in Netflix best interest when there are when there are potential conflicts yeah. with your personal, you know, self. Yeah. Um, you know, what does it mean to increase candor when you're trying to help a colleague who may have made a mistake? in a way that's respectful and kind and and agile right How, what does it mean to receive candor yeah <laughs> Quite frankly is something that you could train on and what are the rules and i use the word rules <laughs> loosely <laughs> what are, of engagement though right what are the what are the how do you do that and i think that 
educating on the how to exhibit things that are aligned with the culture is something that ENC professionals should do anyway, right? We should be we should be training and engaging people to be learners about the right behaviors that exhibit the values we want, not necessarily the risk areas. And I think that's a huge opportunity, hopefully, that Netflix has taken um, advantage of because that's the only way that those values are going to be displayed consistently. Yeah. I think one of the things that you said is that it it's that Netflix is leading in the way that they're doing this, right? A lot of, most organizations don't function like this. Like, let's be honest. Um, you look at most organizations, they have those massive codes, those tons of policies, right? It's very different. Are you seeing as an industry leader that the industry is trending towards a little bit more of the leading with culture rather than leading with policies? Is it, is it something that ethics and compliance leaders who, whether they went to school and they were lawyers and, and learned things as rules, whether, whether they came into this industry leading with those things or not, is it shifting to, towards culture? And, and how do they make that shift in the way that they do their job? If it's not shifting towards culture, it needs to. <laughs> um, and like I said, I have a very interesting relationship with policies and rules. Um, I do believe that they are necessary, but I do not believe that they should guide. You should not lead with them, right? It's not your first impression. It's not what you walk into the room and say, here you go, people. I have a lot of rules here. For you. <laughs> right? I mean, that's the quickest way to get kicked out of any party, right? Like read this, you know, 900 page <laughs> and come back and let me know what you think. Um, that's not the way to make friends. And so I think really switching that to say, again, here's the culture, here are the behaviors that we are striving toward, and here's what we, here's where you come in, right? Here's your role in that culture. Here's your role in maintaining that culture. Here's your obligation to speak up if someone's not maintaining that culture. You know, here's your responsibility to speak up and say, you know, this is how I feel. Like, it, all of those things are part of the foundation of our culture. And if we believe them, which I hope we do, <laughs> then we have to lead with that. And sometimes it's like, maybe it's not about a code of conduct, right? Which I've been debating over even the word code of conduct, right? Because that's how you act. You know, I think it's more about the behaviors you exhibit and the, the attributes that you have when you come to work. And so I think, you know, thinking about how we, give that message and give it consistently and share it consistently is a big deal. Yeah. And I think that the, the other piece of this is that it's not easy, right? If you're in an organization or just starting in an organization that is policy first, that is code of conduct first, that's not unusual. That's what the industry has been. Making that shift is hard. So what's your advice to ethics and compliance leaders who walk in and their leadership maybe isn't ready for that shift or, um, or they don't see that shift as valuable yet. Um, I think there's plenty of examples in um, the media and enforcement actions, et cetera, of the consequences of a bad culture. Um, you know, all enforcement actions, whether they're US-based or, you know, EMEA-based or otherwise, at the end of the day, when you read them, it's, it's about 
the problems that were with culture. You know, mm -hmm. there, there are very few organizations that come before any enforcement agency that have no policies or procedures. Yeah. Everyone does. <laughs> but something didn't work. And so I think just, and, and when you go back and you look and you study at some of these companies that have come afoul of the SEC or the DOJ, they had a culture of non-compliance. They had a culture of fear. They had a culture of, you know, anything goes. Mm -hmm. um, they had a culture of, you know, you can be uh, not nice to your coworkers and still rise. Yeah. And so it's those things that get us in trouble. It's not violations of rules. You start with the behaviors that are permitted and that leads to the violation of rules. And so if you start first with that behavior and that culture, then I think you have a better batting average or chance of not getting to the violation of rules. And I think that's the fundamental shift that we can argue because if you have a culture of fear, undoubtedly you're going to get in trouble and there's going to be bad actors. So starting with the culture and leading with those behaviors and those attributes and those principles of your organization consistently mm -hmm. is the best thing that we can do for our profession. We tried the rules thing already. It <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. And again, I believe that they should be there because some people are like me, right? They like to read and print things out and highlight and make notes in the margin. But most people aren't. And so we need the messaging and the packaging of the messaging in ways that work for everyone. And so, you know, the funniest thing to me about no rules rules is that the whole thing was about the rules of the organization. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> the informal rules. We talk about these formal rules and then informal rules, the informal systems, right? The, I think this is a really interesting book to, to end this year on, right? We start, we started with, blind spots and talking about the systems that that are in place and and having the wrong values being rewarded right all of the things that allow people to act unethically moving into values and and giving voice to values with Mary Gentile right there's so much that we can learn from in the way that we show up to work and then we see a massive failure we talked about Enron right things that went horribly wrong and how they did and then bring it back to an organization that's working really well right? But yet they don't have people necessarily writing in the margins on the code of conduct on the weekend like you do, Asha, right? So it's, it's one of those things where we're, we're looking at this as, as a massive shift in the industry and a massive shift in focus in, the, in putting the employee first, right? Putting, putting the other stakeholders first. What actually makes sense to them? How do we meet them where they're at? Because I've got to tell you, I'm not the one reading all the policies, <laughs> clearly, if we're being honest here, right? Um, yep. And so there's a lot of power behind this idea of culture. Now, um, and, that, and Lauren, if I can just add to what you're yeah. saying there, I think the most important thing is knowing your audience. And, and by audience here, I mean your employee population, your leadership, your company, your culture. It is really understanding what is going to stick Mm -hmm. within that organization, right? And, and I think, you know, Netflix was very honest with themselves about the type of company that they are and what makes people thrive within the type of company that they are. And so I think we need to revisit, not just doing what everyone else is doing, right? But thinking about 
what types of methodologies work for our company mm -hmm. and the culture we either have or the culture that we want. Mm -hmm. And all of those things that you just mentioned are very good examples of options. Yeah. They're options to how you can approach your ethics and compliance program. And the, the biggest point I think that, that I loved about this book is that Netflix has chosen their own option. They yeah. didn't say, how did you know Google do it? Or how did Conversant do it? Or how did anyone else do it? They said, this is how we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And they're trying and testing their hypotheses to see whether it works. Mm -hmm. And from all, all that we know, it is working, Yeah, right? And so I think just understanding that like, this may work for you, getting rid of rules, getting rid of some policies, maybe even just changing what some of the policies and procedures look like to see if they get more traction could be a first step. Yeah. But I think the reality is, is looking and, and critically examining the way we've approached culture, the way we've approached program management, Mm -hmm. And saying, is this really the right, is our program management a fit for our culture? Yeah. One of the valuable things that, that stuck with me from the book was that the exam, one of the examples was around um, their, their uh, PTO policy, their time off policy, right? And how they went from having a policy to not having one and how they made that transition, um, making it very clear that you can't just remove it you have to have the other pieces in place. You have to have that radical candor. You have to put, make leadership show it and have that tone from the top, right? There's so much involved in it. It isn't just about coming and ripping and replacing, which we talk about on the technology side a lot. It's the same thing with any part of your program. You can't come in and just take it out. You have to have the foundation of culture, the foundation of candor or trust or whatever it is to then take those things and make adjustments. So yeah. I, I, think, I think, by the way, for the record, that unlimited PTO is um, the biggest scam in the world. <laughs> I used to count my days. A company take, where we have it. I used to count all my days and take them with me and do all those things. I'm like now, no. But I, you're right. You have to have you have to have structure. You still even without policies, you have to have structure. Yeah. And accountability. And I think that is the main thing for me is that structure and accountability doesn't only come from policies. Yes, absolutely. So um, as we wrap up this interview here, I, I'll just pose it to you very openly. What else should we be thinking about? This, this book illuminated a lot of really interesting points, talent density to uh, radical candor to severance, uh, uh, generous severance packages, right? There's so much in there. It's a great book. I highly recommend everyone read it, but what else should we be thinking about that we didn't already talk about today? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I really liked about No Rules Rules is the decreasing or reducing of controls. Mm -hmm. um, and I like that that was always step three, yeah. not step one, mm -hmm. um, because you have to have those foundational things in place before you're able to reduce controls. Yeah. But I think it's very important for ethics and compliance professionals to start with the statement of how do I get to the point where I can reduce controls? Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting question because I think most ethics and compliance people will be like, never, never. Not right? where I'm trying to go. <laughs> I mean, creasing controls, right? But I think it's a, it, it was such a um, provocative question for me to examine because I want to reduce controls. 
I want to reduce friction in the business. I want to reduce, you know, uh, the number of bureaucracy and red tape that people have to go through to do certain things. I want to be able to do that because it's, I don't want to be doing it just like nobody else does. Right. But it becomes necessary to manage the risk. So where do we get to the point where we can reduce controls mm-hmm. is a very important, I think, thing that we should ask ourselves and then work backwards Yes, to be able to say, what are the steps we take so that maybe one day, you know, I can remove that, you know, GT&E approval for so every- Asha can work without having to work, right? <laughs> Someone else can do my job for me. <laughs> the person who's the first line of defense who probably should be doing it anyway, right? Like, <laughs> So it's just, it's a very interesting approach. I think that we should ask ourselves that question is what are the steps I need to take to empower my people, to empower my culture, to build trust, transparency, accountability, so that I can then begin to reduce controls because I have that culture. And if we can work toward that, I think it is revolutionary because it's not policing anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's more of relationship building, excuse me. <clears throat> and there's power in that. Yeah. I I love that question of uh, what's the first step? How do we work backwards? And I think that's where we end this to say, let's continue that conversation as an industry, whether whether it's with Asha alone and and she's a great person to talk to about these things. It's not that I'm sending everyone to Asha, but um, we can pick this up in the Converge community, converge.conversant.com, where we can continue having this conversation about what the first steps are to get to that place and, and continue to move towards less controls while still having the necessary risk controls in place via culture or other things right i think that's our next book lauren it's it's less controls controls yes oh asha and i are on it you can you can bet that one's coming so thank you so much asha we really appreciate your expertise and uh, look forward to the next time that we can speak with you thank you Thank you again to Asha Palmer for her time and expertise presented in today's episode on No Rules Rules. As mentioned briefly in Asha's interview, we will continue the conversation in the Converge community, converge.conversant.com. Over the next few months, I will be polling the audience on LinkedIn to determine what book I will be featuring in the next episode. Episode five will be released sometime in late February, and once we decide on a book, I hope you consider reading along with me and sending questions for me to ask the interviewees during the next episode. Thank you for listening, and thank you for leading. Happy holidays to everyone, and a special thank you for an amazing first year hosting the Ethics and Compliance Library.